Continuing our study here through the book of Acts, Paul's second missionary journey. We have a lot to talk about, not a lot of verses. We're only doing 10 verses this morning as we finish up Acts 18, but there's a lot of information here, and I hope you're as blessed by this message as I was going through it. Absolutely love some of the stuff in here. What you see now is Paul starting to turn around and come back to Jerusalem, and that's kind of the goal here is to come back to Jerusalem. That's what the Lord laid on his heart. But certain events and things happen on this way that we want to stop and take a look at. Now, before we get into this, I'm going to make just one quick announcement. We've been praying about something at church here for a while, and we feel like it's time just to step out and see what the Lord has in store for this. What we would like to do is, starting the week after Labor Day, is go for about eight weeks, so through September and through October. We know what it's like. As soon as it hits November, uh, people get busy with holidays, etc. It's for those eight weeks there from the end of Labor Day to uh, the end of October, is to see if the church is interested in maybe even having some type of small uh, home fellowship groups, etc. A lot of people have come up to us over the years and have desired this, and this is something we said, you know what, let's just present it to the church. If this is something that interests you, pray about it here for a couple days and see if you're interested in maybe hosting one of those groups or maybe being involved in helping organize that. See me, see Rich, let us know. It's a simple thing. We want to throw it out there. If you feel the Lord's in that, we would like to set that up and bless you. If there's something where it's not at this season, well, we're not going to force that. But see where the Lord leads. And if that's something you want to get involved with, we'd love to have you. As the church has grown numerically, we're very blessed by that. That's never our focus, but we're blessed by that. But as the church has grown, sometimes it gets harder to know people and to get involved. If that's something that interests you, prayerfully consider that. And we'd like to see what the Lord has in store for that. So, more information coming for that here as we get closer to the beginning of September. And we'll see what God has in store. So without much more to say, let's get right into Acts 18. It says in verse 18 of Acts 18, Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria, and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Centra, for he had taken a vow. And he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea and gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch, and after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over to the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. There's a lot of names in there. There's a lot of towns. And if you have a map on the back of your Bible, I encourage you to just look at it. What Paul is doing is just circling around and coming back through the area that he went to speak to, and now he's coming back to Jerusalem, so that's where the Lord has called him. Now, the reason he's doing this is found in verse 23, to strengthen all the disciples. Now, we'll get to that point here in a little bit. But there's a couple things we need to mention. We're reintroduced to Priscilla and Aquila. We are introduced to them last week. Priscilla and Aquila, love them. Married couple. Every time they're mentioned in the Bible, they're always together. Always a oneness there in service and ministry. A great godly example. And we're going to get to them in a little bit more here as we finish up the lesson. But the first thing we need to talk about is verse 18. It's kind of just thrown in there. He had his hair cut off for he had taken a vow. Just kind of thrown in there, this idea of taking a vow. What are we talking about? If you look at the context of this passage and you look at the context of the Bible, Paul probably took something called a Nazarite vow. Now, this Nazarite vow is very interesting. What it was is that you would not cut your hair for a certain period of time, and there's a few things that you would do. You would not touch any dead body, nor go near a dead body. You would not drink any wine, and you would be forbidden to touch grapes or eat anything that has to do with a grape. Now, doesn't that sound interesting? If you're looking for more details, this is Numbers chapter 6. Now, the purpose behind this is you're supposed to separate yourself from the things of the world. And that word, Nazarite, the middle letters there, Z-A-R, it's the Hebrew word for separate. 
So what you're doing is you're separating yourself from the things of the world. Now, what do dead bodies and grapes have to do with the things of the world? Well, this idea of grapes represent joy. If you look throughout the Bible, grapes are always representing joy. Idea of the wine, etc. And what the Bible says actually is in Ephesians is do not get drunk on wine, but instead be filled with the Spirit. This Nazarite vow is a picture of saying, I'm going to stay away from the pleasures of the world and focus solely on the Lord. I'm going to separate myself from the pleasures of the world and just focus on the Lord. The deadness, the dead body is a picture of I'm going to stay away from anything that spiritually could make me dead. It's symbolic of that. So by Paul taking this vow, he's basically saying is, I'm going to be away from anything that's going to bring me down spiritually, any deadness in my life. I'm going to be away from anything that's going to bring any type of fleshly joy because I'm focusing on the Lord. I'm separating myself to do this. Growing out my hair is a symbol of this. And when the time was done, you would cut your hair and then present that hair as a sacrifice. The most famous person to take a Nazarite vow was obviously Samson, if you've ever studied that out in the book of Judges. Now, the question comes up, why is Paul doing this? I mean, Paul's the biggest grace guy in the entire Bible. And he's putting himself under this stipulation. He's putting himself under these regulations of not cutting hair, not touching grapes, not being near dead bodies. That doesn't sound like grace to me. That sounds like Old Testament law. First thing, this is voluntary. Nobody's making him do this. Something he chose to do. You may not take a Nazarite vow. In fact, you really don't see it being talked about in the New Testament other than right here. This is not something the early church practiced. But there may be a time where you take some type of vow where you separate yourself from the world. The best example we have right now would be this idea of fasting. You separate yourself away from the pleasures of food and say, instead of eating that meal or eating for a day, I'm going to separate myself from that food. And that time I would have spent in that earthly pleasure of eating, I'm actually going to focus spiritually on the Lord. Now, we don't look at fasting as some type of religious obligation. It's something we choose to do to separate. Well, it's the same thing Paul was doing. He chose to take this vow to separate himself for what the Lord had in store. Because what you see coming up is Paul had some big decisions to make, and it sounds like he wanted to be spiritually ready and prepared for what the Lord said. I can't encourage you enough. If you've got a lot of things going on in your life, a lot of big decisions, feeling overwhelmed, what have you, separate yourself from the things of the world, focus on the Lord, and let the Lord use that time to grow you. Because look what's going to happen here with Paul. Verse 20. He goes and ministers to Ephesus, and they asked him to stay a longer time with them, but he did not consent. Now, how is that a good pastor? Hey, will you stay with us and teach us more things about the Lord? No, I won't. I'm leaving. That just doesn't sound real biblical. You would think that it's our responsibility if anybody at any time needed anything spiritual, we stop whatever we're doing and focus on that. I actually have a shirt, and I believe the shirt was made sarcastically, but I wear it honestly. It's the shirt that says, let me drop everything I'm doing and work on your problem. Now, it's a sarcastic shirt. When I wear it, I'm sincere. Let me drop what I'm doing and focus on you. I think that's an attitude we're supposed to have. But I look here at Paul, and they're saying, please stay with us. He says, no. That's a pretty big statement. Can you go with me to Mark chapter 1? Mark 1. We've referenced this verse here a couple times recently. I'm going to build on this a little bit more. Mark chapter 1. Everybody here is going to be pulled in many different directions. You have work responsibilities. You have school responsibilities. You have life responsibilities. You may have marital responsibilities. You may have kids, etc. You may just have things around the house that have to be done. You're constantly pulled. When you get up in the morning, you have a list of things that need to get done. And then, unbeknownst to you, people are going to contact you that day and ask you to do more. That's the world we live in. 
How then can we as believers stop and say, what is the most important thing and what is God asking me to do today? And rather getting sucked into all of this. How could Paul tell Ephesus, love you, not sticking around. I got to go to Jerusalem. Obviously, he had spent time with the Lord to know his direction. I think Jesus gives us the best example of this. Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. I think the first thing you learn from studying this out is the importance of starting your day out with the Lord. Now, I'm a morning devotion guy. That's what I do. If I do not start my morning out with the Lord, my day goes downhill. I need to get up in the morning, and the first thing I need to do is spend time with the Lord in prayer and in the Word and say, what are you wanting me to do today? Because I'm going to get pulled in different directions. There's going to be home situations that pop up with the boys. There's going to be things that Dawn needs. There's going to be family things. There's church things. All those things may have merit and may be good. But Lord, what do you want me to do today? And I'm going to be honest. If you don't start your day out with the Lord, you're going to be constantly pulled by different people asking you to do different things. And you're going to get overwhelmed very quickly. If you start your day out with the Lord, you can stop and say, this is what is important today. This is what the Lord has laid on my heart. Now, be flexible in the spirit. If somebody comes up to you in the middle of Walmart and says, Hey, I'm not saved. Will you tell me about Jesus? Don't sit there and say, Sorry, you know, you weren't on my list to do today. You know, no, there's a flexibility in the spirit. But ultimately, what's the most important things that the Lord has laid on your heart? How did Jesus know this? Because he spent time with the Lord. Because look what happens, verse 36. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And when they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. Now, the wording of this, they're searching for him. Everyone is looking for him. When it says here that Jesus went to a solitary place in verse 35, some translations say deserted, he got away. I mean, he got away. It's not like he just went to the other room and said, hey, I'm going to spend a little time there. No, they had to go look for him. Now, let's just put this in perspective. This is the God of the universe who came down in the form of man, who died on the cross for your sins, who did the most loving thing he could ever do, and he still wanted to hide from people. Because he needed time with God the Father. He wasn't hiding because he didn't care. He was hiding because he knew the importance of starting his day out with God the Father. Boy, if Christ the Son saw the importance of it, how much more do we need to see the importance of it? I'm a morning guy. I think that's when it should be. My wife is not a morning person. It doesn't work for her. We have tried numerous times to pick a devotional time for us. And I'll go in at that time because I get up before her and she's still asleep in bed and I'll say, time for devotion. So she won't even respond, that heathen. She won't even respond. And the other day she was up. She was up at the time and I said, let's do devotions. And she said, no, I'm hitting snooze. And she went back to bed. (laughs) Now, I pick on her, but you know what? At the end of the day, when I'm tired and overwhelmed and I'm like, I'm just ready to go to bed. When all the kids go to bed, guess what she does? That's when she gets her Bible out and that's when she spends her time with the Lord. So, now... I want to be like Jesus, obviously, and do it in the morning. If she wants to compromise, that's her choice. But the point is, I do believe, I do believe it is important to start your day out that way. And listen, some of you may not be morning people. Some of you may say, what is my morning? I work third. I work this. Before you start your day, whatever time your day starts, if nothing else, Lord, what do you have in store for me today? It's not my schedule, it's your schedule. Because look what Jesus says. Everyone's looking for you, they're searching for him. Verse 38, he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I might preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. He left them. He left people that were still spiritually looking for him. 
Now, I don't think he left them high and dry because I firmly believe that the Lord will always raise somebody else up to make sure they can minister. But Jesus said, I know where I'm supposed to go and I'm going to go there. And if that means leaving this behind, I'm not leaving the behind and dying, but I've ministered. It's time for me to move on. One more point about this before we go. Can you go to Luke chapter 4? Luke chapter 4. One book to the right. Luke 4 even gives us a bit more information here. Luke 4, verse 42. Now when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place, and the crowd sought him and came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to these other cities also, because for this purpose I have been sent. Now the crowd is there. The crowd is saying, stay. You know how difficult that is? Do you have somebody in your life that likes to use you? Oh, they're constantly asking. I mean, and they'll just keep asking. Even if you say no, they'll keep asking. And what happens is this person will use and abuse the time and relationship they have with you. And it overwhelms you. In fact, it wears you so out, it dries you up, that you don't have any time or energy left to actually minister to the things that are important because you're spending so much time ministering to this one person. Maybe the Lord is saying it's time to let that person go. Now, before you jump on me and say that's the most unchrist like thing you can think of, Christ just did that. He said, it's time for me to go to another town. I've come to the conclusion that sometimes the most biblical thing I can do for somebody is say, hey, it sounds like you and the Lord need to go spend some time alone and pray. Because what happens is, I can't be your Messiah. I can't. I can point you to the Messiah, but I can't be your Savior. Now, this doesn't mean you don't care. This doesn't mean you don't do things. Obviously, Jesus did. But what happens is sometimes there's people that come into our lives that take up so much time and energy, we're actually not doing any good, any type of good ministry. And it's actually keeping us from doing the things the Lord wants us to do. Now, some of you may say, I'm in a situation right now where I know my ministry is this person. Then, amen, you go to that. I'm not trying to pull you away. But really stop and say, am I giving my day over to the Lord as soon as I get up saying, Lord, what do you want? What have you called me? Too often we get up with our own obligations. i got to be at work at this time. i got to take care of this. i got this. We already fill our day completely up, and then we say, Lord, can you sneak in here some? works the other way. It's tough when you have that person. I remember years ago, there was a guy that was kind of popped out here every now and then, a fringe member, if you will. This is going back 10, 15 years ago. He asked me to come over to his house, so I did. And I said, hey, I could pop over, no big deal. I got this appointment, though. This is a very important appointment. I, I knew I had to be there at a certain time. And I said, hey, I just got to leave at this time, no problem. So we sit down in his house, we start talking. Talking, talking, talking. And it's like, okay, we got, I got to get going. I got this appointment, no problem. I'll, I'll walk you out to your car. So we walk out to the car, standing by the car. Keep talking, keep talking. I, I got to get going. So I get in my car, roll down the window. So I'm in my car now with the window rolled down. Still talking. I don't know what to do. I have this appointment I have to get to. And to be honest, the conversation really wasn't spiritual. It was just like we couldn't end it. Got to go. Didn't know what to do. I finally, I start my car. So now I'm, my car started by the window. I got to go. I'm looking at the clock. I got to go. I, don't, I finally put the car in gear. I start back. I'm not exaggerating. I back, start backing out of his driveway. He walks beside my car as I'm backing up out of my driveway. <coughs> There are some people that just don't get it. And I see Christ saying, you know what? To really effectively have spiritual time, i got to go to a deserted place. Jesus just couldn't go sit in the middle of the town and say, I'm going to pray for a little bit. He needed to get away. 
What an example for us is to set that time and say, Lord, this time is yours. This day is yours. It's not mine. Yeah, I got things I think I need to get done. I have things I think I need to get done. But what do you want me to do today, Lord? Spend that time with him and see. So moving on here, Paul feels led to get to uh, Jerusalem. I think he does a really good point here in verse 21. I like this. I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. That phrase, God willing, Lord willing, how often do we just throw that out? Lord willing, I'll be there. Lord willing, it'll work out. I think it becomes a catchphrase in Christianity. Just like kind of like, I'll pray for you. I mean, we say it. I think there's a hint of sincerity. But do we really mean Lord willing? James chapter 4, and I'm not going to get into this because we've hit this passage a lot recently. James chapter 4 says that you and I are a morning fog. We just hear it for a little bit and then we dissipate and we're gone. So James is trying to tell us who are we to even plan the day. We're just a morning fog that appears and then disappears. If you're going to say, Lord willing, I really encourage you to mean it. If the Lord wills, I'll be there. If the Lord wills, I will do this. And I will spend the time it takes in prayer and in the word to know what his will is. So often people come up to me and say, I don't know what the Lord wants me to do. My first response is, have you fasted, prayed, and been in the Word about it? Either no or not as much as I should, then go back to square one and do it. Then sometimes they say, well, I need to make a decision today. God love you if we can't set the clock back. (laughs) This is why it's so important to have this daily time with Him to say, Lord, what are you asking me to do? Because the ultimate goal is verse 23, strengthening all the disciples. Do you see that's what he was doing, verse 23? After he had spent some time there, he departed and went over the regions of Galatia and Phrygia and order, strengthening all the disciples. I cannot stress this to you enough. This is why we're here. This is what we're supposed to be doing, is strengthening disciples. As you know, on the front of our bulletin, it's so simple. Mission statement is this. If you're not saved, we want to see you saved. If you are saved, we want to see you go deeper in Christ. It's that simple. That's the goal of what we're doing So often I talk to these other pastors and churches, and they start talking about these five-year, ten-year. Actually, I had a guy tell me he had a 20-year plan. 20-year plan. Man, I'm lucky to get through tomorrow. 20 years. How do you know what the Lord wants you to do in 20 years? My my plan for today is if Jesus doesn't return before 1130, I want to tell you about Jesus. That's all I want to do. And once today's done, guess what? Wednesday, I'll tell you about Jesus again. That's what we want. And I see this phrase, strengthening all the disciples. And I'm going to basically take what we've gone over the last six months and sum it up now in five minutes. So just bear with me. What we really started teaching about in our study in Acts back this last spring was this idea that the 21st century church is broken. We have this idea of church is that there's this group of people that have a title. They're the pastor. They're the staff. And they're spiritually responsible for the church. They're the ones that keep track of everybody. They're the ones that say, who are you? Where are you coming from? Where are you going? Who's has surgery this? And they take care of this. And then the majority of the body shows up on a Sunday, hopefully is blessed in worship and the teaching, maybe serve a Sunday or Wednesday here and there, and then they go out and do their week. And then it's the responsibility of these people, this small group, to take care of everything. And that's not how the book of Acts is. We're a body of Christ, and we're all called to be spiritually involved. One of the first points we made is that everybody is a minister. The Bible uses the term minister to all of us. The word minister has come to mean one person who is the minister of the church. That's not a biblical definition. The word minister means to serve. If you build a church off of one man and that one man is not Jesus Christ, you're in big problems. The foundation has to be Christ and Christ alone. It's a group of people serving together. With that being said, the commission that Jesus gave us, Matthew 28, we say it all the time, the Great Commission, go therefore and make disciples. That is, all of us are called to make disciples. 
All of us. And I don't say this to step on your toes. I don't say this to make you squirm or make you uncomfortable. When's the last time you made a disciple? See, doesn't that sound almost cocky? I have disciples. See, if you think that way, that's not the biblical definition because the disciple basically means this. I'm going to get involved in your life to help you grow deeper in your walk with Christ. You get in my life to help me grow deeper in my walk with Christ. I disciple, you disciple me, and we work together. Disciple is not who's got the biggest club. I have so many disciples. No, that's not the biblical definition. If I say I have disciples, that means I have people that I'm involved in their lives, pointing them towards a deeper walk in relationship with Jesus Christ. We're all called to make disciples. I had a phone call this last spring before we really started getting into this at church. And a guy called me and he said, you know what, James, I was just thinking the other day, I was reading Matthew 28 where it said, go therefore and make disciples. And he stopped and he said, I realize I don't have any disciples. So he goes, you know what I did? He goes, I went up to one of my coworkers and said, do you want to be my disciple? It's a true story. And the coworker said, sure, moved in together, living together now, discipling one another, growing each other in the walking relationship with Christ. How simple. You want to be my disciple? Sure. Then let's go deeper in Christ together. See, it's not disciples of a fan club. It's the disciples of growing together in Christ. We're all called to do this. Go one step further. Titus chapter 2 says this. We're supposed to get involved in other people's lives. Older men that are mature in the Lord. Titus 2 says, find a younger guy and disciple him. Titus 2 says, older women, find a younger woman and disciple her. Titus 2 says, young men find an older man to be discipled by. Younger women find an older woman to be discipled by. That's the system. Now, we hear that and we say, well, yeah, but that's the way it was. No, that's the way it's supposed to be. This is how a church is supposed to work. We're supposed to be involved in each other's lives, discipling, encouraging. I encourage you, if you want to go deep in your walk with the Lord, find someone to say, hey, will you disciple me? Will you be involved in my life spiritually? If you don't have somebody, come and ask us. We'll try to do as much as we can. Maybe you've got a co-worker or a friend or a brother or sister out here at Christ where you can say, hey, I want to get involved with your life. How about you and I disciple each other? Let's text each other prayer requests. Let's get in the Word together. Maybe older women that you see a younger mom, hey, I want to get her involved in her life and help. Older men, you see these younger guys like, hey, I can instill some wisdom into them. That's discipleship. And it's not necessarily age. Maybe you're the older guy that just is really recently knowing the Lord, and you got this guy that's 20, 30 years younger than you. He can disciple you. That's the way the system is supposed to be. Why don't we do it? Well, it's awkward. I don't know you. It's awkward for me to open up my successes and failures spiritually. You know, a lot of times what we do as believers is we have an arm's distance relationship with the body of Christ. Love you, pray for you, amen, hurt when you hurt, praise when you praise, but let's not get to the deep, dark skeletons in my life. You'll never grow. Openness, oneness, early church, they were getting together, eating meals together, praying for each other, sharing things. Man, isn't that what we're supposed to be doing? Isn't that the goal? Or is that just something we're going to learn about in Acts and say it doesn't work? I think it does work. I think we can do it. And I think that's what takes the church to the next level. And I don't mean that at all numerically. I'm saying spiritually. Let's go be on fire for the Lord and all that we say and do. Verse 23, let's strengthen all the disciples. That means making sacrifices of time. That means finding time in your week. That means opening up. Not everybody's going to want to do that. But for those that want it, let's be there to help them and involve and go deeper. What would happen if you took the directory of the church, went home and prayed over and said, Lord, who in this directory could I spiritually encourage? Well, let's do that. 
Let's be the Acts church. And we have an actual practical application of this in verse 24. Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man, mighty in the scriptures, came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit. He spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace. For he vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. I've always loved Apollos. Just absolutely love him. This guy becomes a key player here and a lot of things. And just an amazing man this is. Look at this description here of him. Verse 24. Eloquent, mighty in scriptures. Eloquent, mighty in scriptures. I'm going to take a quick side note here before we get into his discipleship. If you want to be a teacher, I shouldn't say if you want. If God has called you to be a teacher, I think those are the two things that are required. To be eloquent and mighty in scriptures. I have met people who are eloquent. And they're not mighty in Scripture. I've met people that are mighty in Scripture, but they're not eloquent. You need to have both. Because if you only have one, you're really not able to present and then also explain what's going on. When they talked about Jesus, when he taught, the description they gave of Christ is that he taught with authority. When you hear somebody teach, you can tell they got it. And I don't mean that in a prideful way, like they got it. No, the Spirit has called them to do that. And I think it's important to have both. Because if you don't have both... I've heard people that are eloquent, and boy, you could listen to them. But when you listen to the points of their message, there's no foundation. There's no food. There's no truth. Sure, they sound good, but how did I grow? Or if you listen to someone who's mighty in Scripture but can't present it, it's almost uncomfortable <laughs> listening. Give an example of this. What we do at home with the boys is they wanted to do their own study. I said, so fine. Okay, go through the book of Judges is what they picked. So I said, go through the book of Judges, do that for your morning devotion, and when we sit together at supper in the evening, tell us what you did. So I had Elias. Elias is very eloquent. He is able to explain things. He speaks very well. He's eloquent. Mighty in Scripture, still working on that. So what happened is, he's very eloquent. He gets out his notes for the book of Judges, and he's telling us what's going on in the book of Judges. So he's talking about how God is coming in, and they want to get the promised land, so God is going to have to go in and defeat the Canadians in the book of Judges. I said, who? He goes, the Canadians. The Canadians were the bad guys in the Bible. I said, I think you mean Canaanites. Nope. He goes, Dad, it's the Canadians. <laughs> if you're really wondering what the biggest threat to America is, it's the Canadians. That's what it is. Canaanites, buddy. Eloquent, but not mighty in Scripture. <laughs> then I got Kenan. Kenan, who knows the Bible probably better than any other boys. But if you ask him to explain a point, he can't put the thoughts together to do it. And in time, I'm sure that will come. But you need to have both. So you have Apollos here who is eloquent and mighty in Scripture. If you feel led to get involved in teaching, you know what the best thing you can do is? Pray for the gift of teaching. It's a gift that the Lord gives. And if the God has blessed you with that, then amen, go for it. How do you know if you're called to teach? One of my favorite things about Calvary Chapel is if you want to know if you're called to teach, start a Bible study up and see if people come. If people are come to willing to hear you teach, that probably means you're a teacher. It's the simplicity of that. If you're not called, don't force it. Apollo seems to be called mighty in scriptures and eloquent. But he doesn't know a whole lot. Did you catch? The only thing he knows is the baptism of John, which means that he knows to repent because the Messiah is coming. Somebody needs now to stop and explain to him that the Messiah came and who Jesus is. So guess who comes involved? Aquila 
and Priscilla. I love verse 26. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. That's discipleship. I'm going to get involved in your life, Apollos. This is Priscilla. This is Aquila. You guys are going to meet and talk about the Lord and grow together. I know when I first got saved, one of the greatest blessings I had, there was numerous married couples that said, just come over. Just hang out with us. I was a junior in high school. I got saved. And I would go over to these couples' houses, just make myself at home, and we just talk about the Lord. It was a very Priscilla-Aquila relationship. That's something that Don and I have tried to do. In the 18 years we've been married, we've tried to have people, single guys or gals, just, just come over. Just come over. One thing we've learned is this. They come over, they get very attached, we get very attached to them, and then they get married and we lose them. That seems to be the pattern. And if that's okay for that season of singleness, we'll be involved in their lives. Amen. But it's a beautiful relationship because it spurs us on and I hope it spurs them on as well. So I'm just telling you this, Priscilla's and Aquila's out there. Maybe find an Apollos. Start inviting them over. Maybe you're not married. You can still find an Apollos and just say, hey, I want to get involved in your life. Discipleship. Now, I just want to share a couple points here about Apollos before I close up. First one, verse 25. Share what you know. He only knew the baptism of John. That's all he knew. Share what you know. I know a lot of believers that don't say too much about the Lord because they don't feel like they know much. What happens if they ask me a question I don't know? What do I say? Best answer? I don't know. I'll get back to you on that. See, we don't know a lot, so therefore we don't say a lot. Share what you do know. If somebody comes up and they start talking about end times and antichrist and pre-trip, mid-trip, post-trip, and you don't know any of that, just say, you know what, I don't know, but this is what I do know. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I can tell you about that. Share what you know. Next one, verse 25. He was fervent in the spirit. Share what you know and share it passionately. A lot of times we have this life-changing message of Christ and we're not that passionate about it. I've been doing a study through Revelation and um, listening to some great teachings on it. And this idea of dead churches. Dead churches. They have a building, they have people, but they're dead spiritually. And it's like, oh Lord, I don't ever want that to happen at Harvest. And I don't want that to ever happen in my life. Because you know what happens? We get so used to this. I've been walking with the Lord for 20 years. After a while, I've seen that. Yeah, I've seen that. And what happens is they become very matter-of-fact. We teach Sunday, prepare Wednesday, teach Wednesday, prepare Sunday, and in between, talk to people. No, I want the passion of this. And this is something that really hit me lately is, am I still passionate about the Bible and the things of the Lord and spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ? And Lord, if I'm not, please help me with that. Because I want to be fervent in spirit like Apollos and get out there and be a difference maker. When I get up in the day, and I'm not saying this to be dorky, when I get up, I want to say, Lord, what can we do today together? How can we do things? What, who can we minister to? Who can we love? Who can we pray for? And Lord, help me to be passionate about that. Because it's sometimes easy to let that passion fade. I don't want that to happen. Share what you know. Share it passionately. Verse 26. Share it boldly. Boldly means absence of fear. We know the truth of Jesus Christ. Let's not be afraid to present the truth of Jesus Christ. You know, it's amazing how supposedly, as Christians, we're in the majority. We're not in the majority. We're in the minority on a lot of issues, especially a lot of social issues. And it becomes very easy to be quiet. Share it boldly. Boldly in what the Lord is doing. Here's a big one, verse 26. Willing to learn. Apollos is willing to learn from Aquila and Priscilla. If I ever run into somebody who's not willing to learn, they got it all figured out to me, that's a huge 
warning flag right there. I tell you, I don't care how long you've been walking with the Lord, there's still something that can be learned in your walking relationship with Christ. And the last one, what's your basis? Look at verse 28. He vigorously refuted the Jews publicly, showing from the Scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. The Scriptures. It doesn't do any good to be eloquent in your own words. You need to be eloquent and mighty in Scripture. I think a lot of times as believers, we shy away from the Bible sometimes because maybe we feel like we don't know it well enough to know, or I don't want to be a Bible thumper, I don't want to shove it down your throat. The Scriptures are alive, they're active, and they're purposeful. By sharing that, you're sharing God's Word. That's what gets into someone's soul. The Scriptures. So look at these five points of Apollos. Share what you know. Share it passionately. Share it boldly. Be willing to still learn. And make sure your foundation is the Scriptures. That is what makes you eloquent and mighty in the Lord. And man, that's where it really takes off ministry-wise. But we have to want it. We have to desire that. And are we willing to do that as well? What I want to finish with is this. Can you go with me to Matthew 28? We make reference to this a lot, made reference to it earlier. I want us to finish with it. Let's go read that great commission. Matthew 28. Matthew 28. Let's just ask ourselves some of these questions. Verse 18. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Let's just stop right there. Is that our goal, Lord, is to make disciples of all nations, to truly see people changed for Christ? Next one. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. It was really neat, this last baptism service we did. We had people that got into the water that baptized others because they played a role in their spiritual life. You know, so often we think, well, who does the baptizing? Baptizing. Well, it has to be the pastor. Well, no. Sometimes you can be involved in someone's life where they say, I want you, I want you to be that one that baptizes me because of the role you've played in my life. What a beautiful picture that is to say, hey, I want to do that. And the last one, verse 20, teaching them to observe all things. That's what we're doing right now. This really isn't discipleship. We're obviously not baptizing anybody at the moment. But this is a time of teaching. It's to say, I want all these elements in my life. I want all these elements. I want to be discipling people. I want to be discipled. I want to be teaching. I want to be involved in this because this is what we're supposed to do. I don't want to be this one of those things where I show up on Sundays, get fed, get led, go home, and repeat again the next Sunday. Man, let's teach. Let's observe. And let's get out there and do it. Let's be passionate about the things of the Lord. So what I want to say with this to close, and Marv, if you're going to come forward here for the final song, if you want to go deeper, if you want that discipleship, let us know. As much as possible, we'll try to do it. But if it doesn't work out for us, we'll hook you up with somebody who can encourage you and will bless you. And if you're saying, you know what, I really feel led to get in someone's life, pray about it. Pray for the Lord to raise that person up, maybe at work, at home, whatever it is, and say, how can I spiritually encourage them? And then be in the Word, be mighty in Scripture, and be passionate about the things of God. What I want to do with this is, is close. Is uh, We're going to kind of do what I call reverse altar call. Instead of coming forward, we're going to have you go back. Um, Rich and I will be back. Can you be back there with me, Rich? Put you on the spot. Thank you. Um, that's not spirit-led in any way whatsoever. Rich, Rich and I will be in the back. And uh, if you've got something you want to pray about, come back during the final song. Grab us. Let's pray about this. If I'm praying with somebody, Marv will close you out with a word of prayer. If I'm not praying anybody with that time, I'll close you out and I'll be back there to shake your hands. But if I'm praying with somebody, I don't get a chance to shake your hand today. Thank you for coming. Be blessed. Go make disciples. 
and let's be passionate about the things of the Lord.